All right, and as they are headed back, this is the first Sunday of Psalm Songs 2023. Yeah, we've, we've been doing this, this uh, sermon series for um, 13, I think 12 or 13 years now, and so I'm just going to give you the, the impetus for it if this is your first time with us. We do a, a series we call Psalm Songs. It usually lasts eight weeks. It's June and July. And what we do is we take a secular song that is so ridiculously popular that you can sing along with it. And I invite you, excuse me, to sing along with this song. Okay? You know this song. But my prayer is when I attach this song to Psalm 82, that the next time you're driving down the road and this song comes on, that you will say, oh, I remember that psalm, and I remember what Asaph said, and I remember what God is calling us to. I wonder what the Lord is saying to me now. And that is the purpose, because music is one of the most powerful communicating devices for communicating to people in the world. And so that's why we do this song. So you are welcome to sing along with this song. As the snow flies On a cold and gray Chicago morning A poor little baby child is born in the ghetto And his mama cries Cause if there's one thing that she don't need It's another hungry mouth to feed in the ghetto People, don't you understand? The child needs a helping hand, or he'll grow to be an angry young man someday. Take a look at you and me. Are we too blind to see, or do we simply turn our heads and look the other way as the world turns? boy with a runny nose plays in the street as the cold wind blows in the ghetto and his hunger burns so he starts to roam the streets at night and he learns how to steal and he learns how to fight in the ghetto One night in desperation, a young man breaks away. He buys a gun, steals a car, tries to run, but he don't get far, and his mama cries. As a crowd gathers round, an angry young man face down in the street with a gun in his hand in the ghetto. As a young man dies. On a cold and gray Chicago morning, another little baby child is born in the ghetto. And his mama cries. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's where we're going today. We're going to go into uh, Psalm 82. 
And uh, as I was uh, thinking about the Psalm Song series, you know, um, MJ gave us the, 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 the impetus. She said, listen, you know, a couple of months ago, she goes, like, you guys all got to get your songs in. I got to know what the songs are because I got to know who to line up and who to do it. And, and I'm, I'm always at the place when we're doing the Psalm Song series because, number one, you know, for me, it's like it's got to be a popular song that everybody knows or has heard at some point, and this is how it is, okay? And uh, every once in a while, somebody has to remind me and they say, listen, you know that they kept writing music after 1980, right? And it's like, yeah, but it's not popular. And they're like, yes, it is. It really is just not for you old people. And so I have to stop and say, hmm, I wonder if the worship team can do this song or can they do that song? And they always, I'm telling you, 100% of the time, they have knocked it out and done such a good job. And so I thank them today even for this one. You know, there's, uh, there's music that we listened to, and back in, when I was still running around and, and yet in high school, we, uh, we understood that there was something that was referred to as a genre as bubblegum music. You know what bubblegum music is? Um, you know, it's a song like Bubblegum Embraces. You remember Bubblegum Embraces? Now, if you remember Bubblegum Embraces, then you're probably a grandparent, all right, um, if you know that song. Um, but the whole point is it's fluffy music designed to make you feel good and, and bounce around while you're either driving your car, singing it, or listening to it in your bedroom on the, this thing called a record player, okay? And so that's what we had back then. And so that's, that's kind of bubblegum music. And then there was music that began to be, get, that began to be written that, that made a statement that said, listen, we've got to say something and this is our avenue because music is a great communicator and we have to move forward and I can't do this if I don't say this and if I'm going to say it, I'm going to sing it and you're going to, okay, and that's some powerful music and, and if you go back in, I mean, whether you agreed with the statement the artist was making or not, if you go back into the, the, the late 60s and the early 70s, there was some music that was written that had something to say and then there was a lot of music that was written that people kept saying, listen, if you play it backwards, you can hear the actual message. You know, Michael, what's his name, is the devil. He's the devil. No, 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 don't play it backwards. But the point is, there are some songs out there that make a point, and that is one of them. Um, Mac Davis wrote that song, and, and it was a very, very powerful song. And I want to look at a psalm that is right down the line of that. Because I was reading Psalm 82 as I was thinking about what I wanted to preach on, and I did want to preach on this. And it was like, wow, I think that will fit perfectly into Psalm 82. So let's read Psalm 82, okay? This is what Psalm 82 says. Come here, Psalm 82. It says, this is written by a man named Asaph, and Asaph had a family that were um, psalm writers, and psalms are songs. You know that? Psalms, P-S-A-L-M, those are songs. That's what they used to sing, okay? So Asaph wrote this psalm. It says, God presides in the great assembly. He gives judgment among the gods, little g, okay? Little g, you're going to see when he's talking, are, are you and me, okay? People, we are sons, we are daughters of God, therefore we are family. But it's a, it's a, a historical um, antiquity reference to little g, okay? He says, it says right here, um, he presides in the great assembly, he gives judgment among the gods. How long, this is the argument that say, um, Asaph is making on behalf of God, how long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Instead, defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said you are gods, little g. You are all sons of the Most High. 
See what he's, he's doing there? He's making that reference, little g, okay? But you will die like mere men, and you will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God. Now this is Asaph talking. Rise up, O God. Judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. And there's, there's just a point there for him to say, hey, this is what's going on, and this is the deal. Now listen, Asaph is a Levite. Levites were um, church workers, if you can say it that way. It's a, kind of an overestimation. But they're professional church workers, okay? And he was a Gershonite family of the Levi tribe, and he was in charge of the praise in David and Solomon's day, Asaph was. And his sons followed after him as well, okay? He led the, uh, the singing and the sounding of the cymbals when the ark was ever moved, and it is said that Asaph set up a singing school to teach people to be worship leaders. Now, that's what he did, okay? Um, I think it's in the book of Numbers. But um, th this is the picture of Asaph. And as a matter of fact, his sons followed after him. So when people, you know, they start screaming about nepotism in the church and in leadership and stuff like that, it, it, it has its place. If you've got somebody that is following after Jesus and that person is following after Jesus and then their children are following after Jesus and their children are following after Jesus and then their grandchildren are following after Jesus, then you know right now that you can begin to trust them. There's a place where we are challenged to say, hey, we've got to be able to lead our households or we can't lead God's church. And so we want to continue to move forward. So Asaph, he passed his relationship to God and his desire to write worship music on to his son. And if you read through the psalm, sooner or later you're going to see when it says, Song of Asaph or the Sons of Asaph. And it's like, uh oh. So it's a family thing for them. And it's absolutely amazing. But this is the time... Uh, in Israel's life, when there was continued oppression, abuse, and the ne neglect of the weak and fatherless. And often we ask ourselves, I just want to get close to God, but we don't stop and realize that if you read the Scriptures, if you read Isaiah, if you read Jeremiah, if you read Jesus, that you will see that if you want to get close to God, get close to the poor. I think it's uh, Mother Teresa that said that. You want to get near to God, you go to where people are desperate and destitute. I'm not talking about lazy. I'm talking about poor. I'm talking about things are going bad and there's nothing they can do about it. I'm saying that there is a place to find God. I'm not saying that's the only place he is. And I'm telling you right now that God loves the rich people too. Even John was known in Herod's household. That's a pretty wealthy place to be known as a fisherman, see? And so we see this picture, but we, re we recognize that, that God is saying that you and I have a responsibility to one another to make a difference. Now, now listen, don't hear me say you have to do it all and listen till we get to the end of this message, but we are called to make a difference. And the question is, are we going to make it? In the writing, um, Cole Ben Levi, Rabbi Yachel um, Epstein writes this, there are two trials before the individual, every, every, every individual, the test of wealth and the test of poverty. And both of those tests are, are difficult. But the test of wealth is the greater test than the, pe the test of poverty. Because when we have it all, we've got to stop and say, what will we do it all? What will we do with what we have? What are we going to do? And we've got to stop and we've got to say, hey, what is the deal? 
The suggestion in his writing and in this psalm is that we have a moral obligation to take care of the poor among us. Now listen, I'm talking about the poor, not the lazy, and that's something that we've got to wrestle with. We really do. But there are people that are poor. There are people that are destitute. And it's not always money. Sometimes it's in their morality. Sometimes it's in their humanity. Sometimes it's in just being able to to get out and about. But there are poor people among us. And we recognize that God Almighty, Jehovah God, is a God who is love. And He loves these people and He's near to these people. And He is not loving. He is love. In the book of John, chapter 4, verse 8, it says, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And I should have capitalized that emphasis from me personally. But this is John writing, and John was near to this guy, and and John should know, because John said he was more loved than all the other disciples by this man who is love. He said God is love. He didn't say God was loving. He didn't say he had a loving nature. He didn't say, he said, if you want to know the definition of love, you should look at God, because God is is love. And God expresses this character about himself through sacrifice, through actual sacrifice. You cannot separate sacrifice and love. It's just not possible. You cannot do it. Love is sacrifice, sacrifice is love, and Jesus is the evidence. When you say you love somebody, when I say I love my wife, I'm not saying I just want to kiss all over her face and hug her and hold on to her and and do other things. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is because I love her, I will begin to make sacrifice for her. Because I love her, I will continue to have a job and bring in an income that provides for us. Because I love her, yes, I will take out the trash. Because I love her, yes, I will pick up my clothes. Because I love her, if I have to, I will do the laundry. If I love her, I will make the bed. It's not... I will love her. It's I will love her, therefore I will. It's the same thing God did. For God so loved the world that he, and then it comes, right? You can't separate those two. God loved, God gave. God loved, God made. It comes down to sacrifice. How much sacrifice is whatever the Lord's telling you, but love comes down to sacrifice. You give up, you let go of, you do things. It's amazing. The very teachings of Jesus challenge us to sacrifice and care for and be aware of the poor among us. So when I say, yes, I love that person, the question is, what am I going to do for that person? What does it mean for me to stretch myself out? And sometimes you just need to be ready to love them in case they ask something of you. And Jesus addresses this. Don't take my word for it. Read the red letters in the New Testament in the Gospels. Read them. If somebody asks something of you, give it to them. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. No, no, no. Just stop. What did Jesus said? It's that simple. What does he want you to do? It's that simple. Deal with it. I mean, you deal with it. If you're going to talk hypothetically, then I'm going to talk hypothetically. And then you're going to say, oh, stop that. And I'm going to say, you brought up the hypothetical situations. If you're going to talk to me hypothetically, I need to answer you hypothetically. See? So we wrestle with this. But this is what Jesus said in Matthew 25 when he's telling a parable. He said, hey, um, the, the, the um, poor people, excuse me, the, the people, well, let me just read it to you. When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So when we see the one of the least of these, not one of the greatest, one of the richest, one of the, but when you see the least of these among you and you do something for them, 
You do it out of love. It's a sacrifice. And Jesus says, I receive that as you sacrificing for me. Paul recognizes an age-old conundrum, however, concerning the poor when he says, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we, we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we didn't have the right for, to such help. He's saying, I'm an itinerant evangelist, and I came into town, I came to your church, I preached my heart out, and I had the right to, put, to take up an offering, but I didn't do it so that your money would stay there and I wouldn't take anything from you. He said, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate, so even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. That's the difference between being poor and being lazy. There are some people that hold a sign that say, we'll work for food, and if you stop and say, hey, I've got a job for you, they'll say no. Paul says if they don't work, they don't eat. There's a place, I believe, for you and I to be working harder at getting people jobs than just getting them a meal. We should get them a meal. We should be willing to help out where we can help out when we are called as an individual to help out. But at the point being, what are we going to do to help them? And that's what this psalm is all about. Psalm 82 is about us not turning our heads, not perpetuating a systemic problem that is actually a problem and not the the political issue of the day. This is just caring for the people around you. And Paul goes on to say, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. Instead, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. Quit asking for a handout when you are capable of working. Do something. As for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. So clearly there's that large difference from being poor and, and just being poor because you refuse to work. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah starts uh, um, that book with this prophecy that, that the Lord spoke to him. When you spread out your hands in prayer, remember he's, he's speaking to Israel. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you, Israel. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening, Israel. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. What God is saying is that's where you're going to find me. You're going to find me where there's no hope, where people are destitute, where they're in, new, uh, in need, excuse me, where, yeah, new too because it says make sure you clothe them, okay? But, but you're going to find me there. And we recognize that chasing after Jesus means he's going to call to you to do inconvenient things. And we know that because Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. He said he's going down the road and um, he gets hijacked, he gets beat up, and he gets thrown in the ditch. This man that the Good Samaritan ends up helping. And the church Levite and the church leader, they come by and they're like, we don't have time for this. It's inconvenient. Jesus addresses this psalm in a very a parable, um, problematic for us way. What are you going to do about what you see right in front of your face? You may not turn and look away. And that's the danger. When God is speaking to Israel, he said, listen, you can't do that. 
He said, otherwise, I'm not going to listen to your prayer. I'm going to hide my eyes from you when you offer many prayers. I'm not going to listen. We surrender our lives to Jesus. We don't accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Believe it or not, that's not biblical. We surrender to Christ as our Lord and Savior, and then we get up from our knees and we say, Lord, what do you want from us now? What can we do to move the kingdom of God forward? So we look at Psalm 82 and we see a picture of a God who has a heart for those going through deep waters, dark times, and difficult circumstances. And some of you in here are going through that. And, and we know. We recognize that our own near and dear worship leader is going through brain cancer. She just came back from um, her checkup after uh, two weeks ago she had her surgery. Scared her to death. She's just a young lady, still in her 20s, going through difficult times. And the Scripture says that God is near people like that. So on the one hand, we say, then I need to be near God. I need to be where people have a need that I can help meet. Not that I can meet, not that I can do it all myself. But I've got to do something. See? And then on the other hand, we recognize that when we're all alone going through a dark time and it's difficult and we're feeling destitute and hopeless, God is there. But we tell ourselves or we listen to the devil's voice and he says, God doesn't care. He's not looking at you. There is no place that you can go that you will hide from or not be seen by God. And I cannot describe the how he does that to you because I was made by God. I am not God. And so when somebody begins to tell you, well, that's not possible, they don't know God. They're just telling you their version of this God that they made instead, and suddenly it, it kind of melts down. That's a whole other sermon. There's not a sparrow on this planet that does not fall, that God does not know it. There is not a hair on your head, and some of you are making it easy for God, but there is not a hair on your head that God does not know the number associated to it. There is not a grain of sand on the beach that God does not know the number associated to it. And he can do that because he's God. There is not a, a child that dies on this planet that I believe God does not cry. And when we say, why, I wonder if God doesn't say, why do you let it still go on? Why? I believe that despair and hopelessness, anxiety, fear, I believe that arrogance, self-righteousness, and pride, rebellion are all the tools of hell, and it's okay for us to put them down. It is okay for us to do that. This is what the devil uses to destroy our lives because sometimes we let him, but it is not the parisos that God invites us into. Paul tells us in Romans 15, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Not you should do it all, but you should do something. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to each of us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement 
give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind, with one voice, we may glorify God and our fa- the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, he says. Accept one another. Then just as Christ accepted you. How did Christ accept you? He didn't make any qualifications for you. He accepted you. He called you to come away from a life of sin, but he accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed and moreover that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and I will sing praises in your name. Our call is to make a difference in our friends and our people and our neighbors and our families' lives and to see God bring healing and hope to them. But we are so quick to judge people as deserving or not deserving because it's my time, my money, my lawnmower, my car, whatever it is, it's mine. And we don't recognize that God put it in our hands so that we could give it, we could use it, we could administer it so that people's lives can be changed because God can give it back to us or you worship a very small God. He can give it back to us. The book of Romans chapter 14 says, For this very reason Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat as is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue acknowledge me. And so that we recognize in the midst of all of this that this is a picture of a God who has a heart for people who are going through difficult times and he is not up there condemning them, judging them. He's saying let's start right here and let's move forward. Let's bring you hope. Let's bring you light. Let's bring you healing into your lives. And I believe that that's what's going on. The second thing that I believe is that this is, Psalm 82 is a picture of a God who has expectations of people who can make a difference, making a difference. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that God steps into my life at times and says, listen, I want you to intervene here. And I say, Lord, but you don't understand what I'll have to sacrifice. And he says, you can't separate sacrifice and love. Love is sacrifice and sacrifice is love. Anytime you do something on behalf of the kingdom of God, it will cost something of you that you personally cannot get back until God puts it in your hand. It might be time. It might be money. It might be a a, a tire. It might be a meal. It might be just an encouraging word. It might be a prayer. But there There is times in your lives when you recognize that God is calling you to step up and step out, and at times we refuse to do it, and we we find ways to quash it, we find ways to say it's not responsible, we find ways to do that, and here's the deal, you're sitting on God's throne. It's not yours to make, it's yours to say, yes, Lord. When the Lord says, I need you to step out of your comfort zone and do this, it is yours to say, yes, Lord. Our word for this year is available. That's the word that we received at the beginning of this year that I believe, and that's the word that I have been pressing into as hard as I can. Pastor Janice and I were just on our way to a date the other night, and we were headed into town on Lancaster Road, and as we came over the hill, um, there was a lady walking down the road, and we were kind of late because a movie was going to start at a certain time, and, um, and the Lord said, hey, are you available? And I had a decision to make. And so I slammed on the brake. My wife said, what are you doing? I said, we're giving her a ride. She you said, you don't know where she's going. I said, I understand that. I said, movie date to be determined. 
And I said, let's stop. And I was praying, please hurry and run to the car because we just came over top of that hill and I'm concerned because Lancaster Road does not have a lot of berm. And I didn't want her hit. I didn't want to be hit and I didn't want to cause an accident. She came and she went. We had to drive her all the way to the other side of town. And that was fine with me. It was okay. Because at the whole time that that was going on in my head, I was just saying, are you available to God when he calls you? It's like you're going to have to sacrifice something to be available to God. And for Janice and I, and some of you know us, we like date night. It was going to be the time of our date night. We're going to have date night. It's just the time of date night was going to be changed. Are you available? When God says you can make a difference, are you going to be available? In the book of Matthew, it says, Jesus says this parable, and it's the full parable. It says, then the righteous will answer God and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and close you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, the Lord God Almighty will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was not prepared for you. It was not for people, ever. It was prepared, prepared for the rebellious angels and the devil. But he's saying that's what's going to be their outcome. And he goes on in verse 42 to say, for I was hungry and you didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I, was, I needed clothes, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you did not look after me. And they will also answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger, needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of one of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment and the righteous to eternal life. And that's just a picture where God says, for those of us that he places it upon ourselves, that we have the ability to make a difference in other people's lives, we have an obligation to make a difference in every people's lives. We do not have an obligation to solve all their problems. We do not have an obligation to do it for everybody. But we have an obligation to do it in the circumstance that God invites us into in the moment. And when we turn that one down, we are in a perilous place. Can I give you a very, very, very real example? A young man came into my office here a couple of years ago, probably about seven or eight by now. And he sat down in my office and he said, I can't believe in God. He said, and my fiance said, I should just come talk to you. I think it's a scam, you know. People wrote it, men did this, men did that, all that, and we went through it. And says, oh, okay, okay, I, that doesn't shock me. I'd rather you came into my office and said, I'm an idiot, and say, okay, let's talk about that. I'm, I'm okay with that. And I said, so why is it that you can't believe in God? He said, I served in the military. And I said, okay, thank you for your service. He said, but I served in Somalia on the UN peacekeeping team. I said, and he said, you don't understand what I have seen, and nobody in these United States wants me to talk about it. I said, okay, what did you see? He said, every day for a couple of two years, I think his term was two years on that team, he said, every day I stood in this place, this was my job, and I was there, I was part of this team, and he listed all, and, and you know, and I said, okay, and he said, I, I watched this child starve to death. I said, really? He said, you don't understand how bad the famine and the starvation is over there. It's bad. He said, why would God do that? 
Why would God let little tiny children starve to death? I said, what happened? He said, every day I would go out to my post and I would be there. He said, and this little person would come and I would see him playing and I would talk to him and this would go on. And he said, and one time he stopped coming and I asked um, some of the other people, where did he go? And they said he died from starvation. He said, I saw his little belly was just all this, that. And he said, it was, it was awful. He said, I'm not going to worship a God that did that. I said, that's, that, that's really sad. I said, yeah. And he just looked at me. And I said, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. I said, over there, did you have three, three meals a day? He said, yeah. I said, excuse my cliche. I said, my dad was in the military. I said, uh, do you have access to candy bars, something stupid like that, that I always see American military men handing out in war-torn countries? He said, yeah. I said, do you ever feed that kid? He looked me right in the eye, and he said, it's not my job. Now, I'm not against the American military. Please do not hear me saying that at all. This is an individual interacting in an individual situation. And I looked at him in the eye and said, you couldn't have stuck a muffin in your pocket and brought it to him? Just ask him. I said, you sit in my office and you're shaking your fist at God Almighty for letting that kid die. I said, you don't think God Almighty has the right to shake his fist at you for not feeding the kid that he brought to you every single day. Oh, sounds like Jesus' parable, doesn't it? There was a man named Lazarus, very wealthy man, that went out of his house, and every time he went out of his house, there was, no, there was a rich man, there was a poor man named Lazarus that laid at his gate. And the rich man finally died and went to the lake of fire, according to Jesus, his parable, not mine. And, a- and Lazarus died, and he was gathered up in Abram's bosom in paradise, pre-resurrection Jesus. See? The guy had an opportunity to do something about it and chose not to. He didn't have to solve world hunger. But we are so quick to excuse ourselves and say, it's not my responsibility, when the truth of the matter is we should say, I did something when we can't do everything. It's, it's like uh, Andy Stanley used to use this sermon illustration. He, was walk, he said a man was walking on the beach with his friend and, and it's just covered in starfish. Overly simplistic illustration. Man reaches down, picks up a starfish, flings it out into the ocean, and the man says, what are you going to do? Try to throw You can't throw all these starfish back in the ocean. You can't save them all. He said, but I saved that one. See? We have an obligation to do something We cannot keep excusing ourselves to do nothing. That is not what God invites us to. This is Jesus and taking him at his word, and he challenges us as generous as as people that he has poured into. And let's just be honest, we set the temperature, and I do believe that it's relative to a degree to the culture that we live in. But let's be honest, we drive some nice vehicles. I'm I'm, I'm talking to Joe Wood. I drive a nice vehicle or two. I have some really nice dogs. I play a beautiful guitar. I have a wonderful home and a nice pool. But love has got to be me sacrificing something to make something happen for somebody else. You and I, have God has poured into so that we can do something for somebody else. Because love is sacrifice, and sacrifice is love. Jesus says, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, 
and you will not be condemned. And this is an important one. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And before you say, well, I am forgiven, these are Jesus' words, not Joe's words. See? It was Jesus that said in the Lord's Prayer, for if you forgive those who sin against you, you will be forgiven. Not Joe would, okay? Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will be poured into your lap, for with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. There's just a challenge for you and I to stop and say, what has God poured into us? And then to trust that when we give it away, He can do it again. We don't have to make justifications for it. Last thing that I want to share with you is this. This is not the picture of a God who is sitting idle, ignoring you. The psalm that we have today was written by a professional psalm song writer, okay? And it was God speaking through the circumstances of what people were going through, and it was difficult, and they thought that God had forgotten them, and they were destitute, and it was dark, and they didn't have food. You know, it, it's a whole different thing to say, hey, um, you know, I don't know how much I'm going to get to eat today. It's a whole other thing, according to the book of Leviticus, to take your coat off and take it to um, the guy and say, hey, what will you give me for my coat? The pawn shop. And say, what, this is an actual Levitical law. You may not keep that coat overnight. That's how poor, poor was in Jesus' day. Because they would freeze to death if it was wintertime. See, that's not the poor you and I are talking about. But we still have an obligation relatively to, or relative to our culture to reach out and make a difference in people's lives. You don't have to solve the problem. You have to be available to God. Are you available to God? The book of Hebrews says, Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. God is not sitting on a throne ignoring you and I and what we're going through. But we've got to not, you know, try to do the Abraham thing and make it happen. We've got to wait on God. And that has to be okay. When Joe Wood feels far from God, it is entirely appropriate for Joe Wood to ask, who moved? Rarely is it God. When Joe Wood feels far from God, it's okay for Joe Wood to look back and say, where did I take the exit ramp? And how far am I going to go before I get back on the kingdom way? How far? When I feel lonely and empty and unspiritual, let me ask you how you moved or what you stopped doing or where you stopped giving and serving. And sooner or later, I, be, I begin to ask myself, where is it that I became God? In the Ghetto was written by a man named Mac Davis. It was not written by Elvis Presley. It was written by a man named Mac Davis in 1969. And I was looking at it just to see what it is, why it was written about the song. He said it was about his little friend from when he was six years old. Their fathers worked together in the same shop. They made the same money. He went home to a house that was on a paved street. And his, his friend from school went home to a dirt street, poor ghetto. And he did not understand why. It did not make sense to him that that was the case. And you and I both know there are a lot of things that go into that socially. But at the end of the day, he wrote that song to say, we can't not do anything. And the one thing that we cannot do 
is live our lives judging people to satisfy ourselves. Here it is. Nothing changes in the world if we don't change things at home. Nothing. Nothing changes in the world. 2,000 years ago, God poured out his spirit on all people. 787 years before that, he had his prophet prophesy about it. It's called Pentecost today. In Joel chapter 2, it says, The day of the Lord. And afterward, he said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. He said, I will pour my spirit out on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Excuse me, your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So that's another day. There's the day of the Lord and the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So I look at this scripture and I recognize that the answer to the, to the problem that you and I are living out is Jesus Christ. See, I'm the problem. I put Jesus on the cross. And until I come to terms with that, I'm just fooling myself. But here's the deal. Jesus is the solution. I'm the problem, my attitude, my rebellion, my sin, my arrogance, my frustration. I am the problem. Now, I can write this scripture off about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on sons and daughters and believe that it's for back then, it's not for today. Or I could choose to ask God, is this for me today? And if it is, then I want everything that you have to offer me today in the person of your Holy Spirit because I'm going through it. And I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if you relate to the being oppressed, being rejected, being set aside, uh, being cast out, not being friended, being pushed away, or if you believe that it's not your responsibility to take care of these people, it's their responsibility to take care of themselves, they need to get over it, they need to solve it, I, and I, I'm not saying I disagree with you. All I'm saying is that when God puts them in front of our face, it is time for us to do something, and you know you have not been available to God. You know. Because I know that Joe Wood at times has not been available to God. And I go to bed and I weep at night and I say, God, I am so sorry. I could have done something at that point. But I would have had to sacrifice my time. And my time is probably the most sacred thing that I personally, I don't care about money. I love my dogs. Don't really care that much about them except Frank. I love Frank. Frank will go to heaven. I preached the gospel. He surrendered his life. I'm not making a joke. Paul said, preach the gospel to all living things. I do. I do. Are you available to God? It really simply, is your bank account available to God? Is your wisdom that you have available to God? Is your teaching ability available to God? Is your time available to God? to God listen to me I don't want God ignoring my prayers I don't want him to say I'm doing it wrong I want to be near to the Lord and the Lord said that you've got to care about the people next to you regardless of their skin color regardless of their economic condition 
regardless of what gender they particularly apply to that day. I only believe in two, sorry. But he said we still are going to love them and we're going to care about them. And we're going to care about people that make really bad decisions, put their children, their families in harm's way, in destitute situations. And we're not going to not take care of them because, well, they should have known better. Nope. That's not what we've been called to. But that's what we do. We try to run the church that way sometimes. We try to run our own lives that way sometimes. And we don't have the right to. The scripture tells us not to judge. Not to judge another man's servant. And these other servants belong to God. And I want to encourage you in that. If you're feeling destitute, I want you to know that the Lord knows. If you're feeling like he's ignoring you, I want you to know that he's not. If you're saying that I need him to come down here, then do me a favor and come up here and let us pray for you right now. You're saying, Joe, I need that in my life today before I leave this building, then do me a favor. Just, you're not less than, you're not more than. You just know that in your life. Come up here and let us pray for you. Just stand up and do it right now while I'm talking. We had a prayer time and a half in first service. It was ridiculous. Because it takes a little bit of courage, but you don't leave without. If you're in here now and you're saying, you know what, I need that Holy Spirit, I need that wisdom from God, and I want to be that available, can we pray for you? Fathers, we come before you. We thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. God, I thank you for this psalm that has offended me so much because I'm tired of not being offended by your word and thinking that I've got it all figured out. Who am I, God, that I know God better than God? God, I come before you and I just ask your forgiveness. God, I come before you and I ask for healing, physical healing on these people, Lord. Pour out your spirit on them in the name of Jesus Christ because we are a people desperately in need of who you are God and so we say come Holy Spirit in Jesus name Amen I want to invite you to rise to your feet we're going to sing this song and these prayer team people are going to stay here and I just want to invite you if you're here and you're like you know what I do need prayer for this during the song while we're singing just come on up here and let them pray for you because we care that Jesus cares about you and we want to make that real